1: Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at Burrow.com Acast, and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at Burrow.com Acast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 364 of the More Than Just Code podcast. My name is Tim Mitra. And today is a special treat and the follow up to our last episode where I interviewed Paul Hudson. Uh, I've asked Tammy Coroner if she will let me replay her uh, interview with Paul from August 2017. So hopefully we enjoy this. Sit back. Here's a replay of Roundabout uh, Creative Chaos with Tammy Coroner and Paul Hudson and myself. Thanks.
2: Welcome to Roundabout Creative Camp. We've been busy flying around in our TARDIS, watching Firefly, and having debates on whether or not zombies float. I'm Tammy Koran, and I'm joined by Tim Mitra on episode 92, which was recorded on August 23rd, 2017. On this episode, we talk with Paul Hudson. Paul spent eight years in computer journalism writing features and tutorials for Linux format, Mac format, TechRadar.net, and more. In his spare time, Paul has developed over 100 apps for iOS and Android. You can find out more about Paul at HackingWithSwift.com. If you like listening to Roundabout Creative Chaos and you want to know how you can help support the show, please visit our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash just Are you ready to talk tech, music, arts, and zombies? I know we are. So grab your crossbow and let's get this episode started. Paul. How are you?
0: Hi, Tammy. I'm doing well. How are you? I'm good. Good.
2: Welcome to the show. This is uh, uh, Tim Mitra is my co-host, by the way. I don't know if I mentioned that in any of the emails.
0: Hello. How are you? Good.
1: So where are you, where are you calling from? Where are you, where are you originating from?
0: A small town in England called Bath.
1: Oh, you're in Bath. Oh, no way. That's where my parents met. Oh, geez, I just gave away one of my security questions. <laughs>
0: oh, oh, hey, like, what's your mother's maiden name, by the way? Just curious. <laughs>
1: Yeah, exactly. My dog's name and Yeah.
2: Paul, I, <laughs> I had no check. idea you were from Bath. How funny is that?
0: Bath, it's Bath. You'll you'll find out over the next sort of hour or so when I progressively fall asleep. It's like three minutes past midnight here. So uh oh. <laughs> mm.
2: Tim and I were just talking before we called you up here that like when something new comes out for Swift, I don't even think it's twenty-four hours before you're out there releasing stuff. That's really
1: no, right. he trolls Apple, I'm sure.
0: <laughs> I, I certainly go through my fair share of coffee, that's for sure.
1: So you're gonna tell him the bad news yet, Tammy?
2: Oh yeah, by the way, the bad news is welcome to the show. There's no pre show, there's no we just jump right into it because why not? I'd like to catch you off guard.
0: That's fine. We're already down one security question, right? So we just need a few more and we're <laughs> we're away. I'm we're rich. We can get this whole podcast thing, retire to Honolulu somewhere. Mm, hopefully. Mm.
2: Anyway, Paul, all kidding aside, before we jump too far into the show, will you please let our listeners know who you are and what you do? Because some of them may not know who you are.
0: Uh, Yeah, sure. So I'm Paul Hudson. I live in a small town in England called Bath, where Tim's parents met, and I write books. Uh, So most of these days, that means iOS books at hackingwithswift.com, but I've done lots of others too. That's me.
1: So how did you get into the whole area of instruction and writing books and things?
0: Uh, honestly, for kicks, for fun. it's uh, uh, Writing, for me, wasn't my first choice. You know, my first degree was computing science, like a lot of folks. I'm one of those tedious people who sort of got into computing at a very young age and, you know, reading DOS books when I was 12 and stuff. And, uh, you know, my life became progressively more focused on computers. Uh, I'm not sure how it works in the U.S., but here we, you have your first exams at 16 and then you have your second exams at 18 and, of course, your degree at 21. And for me, it became became computing science at 16, then at 18, again, even more computing science and then degree in computing science. So by the time I was 24, I was just so laser-focused on computing science and programming and engineering and stuff that I'd forgotten the rest of the world existed, which is a bit of a shame. Um, But then I started writing for a magazine, just like freelance. I mailed them an article saying, hey, do you find to do a tutorial? And they went, yes. I did some writing for them. Enjoyed it a great deal. They offered me a full-time job. I took it. and became a writer full-time. Uh, and I kind of snuck in that way, and that lasted what eight years or so, I think, doing magazines full time, until um, eventually the the company I worked for, which I believe Tammy is aware of, Tammy also writes for them, I believe, um, said, "Hey, we need some iOS devs," and of course I'm a coder in my spare time anyway. I'm doing coding everything I can get my hands on. And I said, oh, "Well, you, you're obviously quite geeky. Do you want the job doing iOS apps?" So I kind of moved from back from writing to iOS. So I'm kind of dually trained, if that makes sense. I've got computer science and uh, writing at the same time in my head.
1: Right? Did you did you had you had done any iOS at that point, or was that sort of jumping on? Yeah, point? I, had,
0: I had done. I mean, I, I, I honestly I consider myself an equal opportunity opportunity love giver when it comes to platforms. I've written mm-hmm. programs for Linux, for Xbox 360, for Android, iPhone, iPad, Apple Watch, Apple TV, Windows, Windows Mobile, and more. You know, I've, I've used Python, PHP, JavaScript, C, Swift, Pascal, C Sharp, Java. I just love trying things out and writing code. So I'd written, by the time I was transferred to the, the budging or well, starting iOS team, I'd already written sort of 20 or 30 apps for iPhone. Uh, so I was kind of there to start the team, basically, at the company. Right. So what uh, year was that, roughly? At the company, that would have been 2012, right, maybe, okay. 2011, maybe, twelve. It was mm-hmm. about a year before Newsstand kicked off, so iOS 5. Right, right, right. But yeah. iOS 4, I guess, we trans- I transferred, uh, just making apps, just trying things out.
1: Did about, you try building any Newsstand apps?
0: That was a bit of a pain, if I remember. We did, we did. We, on, when Newsstand launched, my team had half the App Store. Of, half oh, really? Half the Newsstand App Store was from my company. Nice. Uh, which, was, which was a blast.
1: But it made what, was the name of the, what was the name
0: of the company? It's called Future. Um, oh, okay. They run Creative Block, which I believe Tammy writes for.
2: That is correct.
0: And I'm not looking for advertising here or anything, but they also own uh, Tech Radar and Games Radar and other big brands. Oh, okay, uh, I, right, I yeah. worked in the magazines department. I worked in a magazine called Linux Format, which is the most geeky magazine you could possibly imagine. It was great fun. Mm-hmm. I, I was the editor mm-hmm. of this magazine. Uh, And yeah, it's a great job, great job. But it meant being a a full-time coder slash writer at the same time. Very geeky magazine, very technical magazine. Uh, so we launched newsstand, and it meant being up, you know, two AM our time, frantically calling Apple the day of newsstand launch, saying, "Why is it not working? Why is it not working?" Because um, mm-hmm. it was all very last minute.
1: Yeah, I remember that. We were—I was actually doing a magazine at the time, like a, on uh, basically on the iPad at the same time. So we we decided, you know, we had already sort of created a subscription, yeah, subscription model, but we decided to forego the challenge of newsstand, <laughs> you know, because we already had separate apps for each in, in, issue, but. Yeah, it's interesting because I, I hadn't really heard. not really met anybody else who tried
0: that newsstand. So. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm the only other person. No, we had a we had a pretty good team by the end of it. Um, newsstand made and still makes Future a great deal of money. You know, with, mm-hmm. uh, by the time I finally left, we we're sort of talking thirty million dollars. That was lots and lots of money Future made from a newsstand, uh, which so is, is great. newsstand still a thing? No, 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 no. It's not. It was cancelled oh. as an idea, but the apps just became regular apps It sort of clicked overnight to be regular apps. Oh, I, it made it funny. I, I remember on the launch day, you know, we had, I don't know, $25,000 of income. It's like, no, not a lot, right? And we thought, okay, this is going to be pretty small. The next day, that sort of quadrupled. It got big very quickly. Uh, and because there wasn't much out there at launch, it was kind of us and a few others. Uh, we just kind of mopped up a lot of people. We had, I think by the end of it, 30 million downloads of our apps. Very happy with that, obviously.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, you must have figured out the whole subscription model thing, which was a bit you know challenging for a lot of devs at the time. You had to figure out how to download issues
0: and things like that, right? Yeah, that, so Apple's implementation wasn't helpful. Um, they obviously, they've cracked in-app purchases. That's very easy to do in Apple land. It's even easier now they host the downloads for you. But subscriptions are painful because they don't store any meaningful information about the subscription, just that it happened. So you mm. can't track what they're entitled to, for example. That's a third-party service. So there was a lot of extra work to do just to get the app to work. And that was expensive, but we got it done and made a lot of money. So what can you do? <laughs> it's successful then, I guess.
2: What made you go into iOS development in the first place? How would you go from computer science to iOS development?
0: Like I said, I, went, I didn't particularly go into iOS. I, I, I hacked on everything I could and still do. You know, I, I've only recently just made another Android app. Um, just for fun, I, 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 if the device is there, I want to break it and I want to fix it and I want to hack on it and, and fiddle around with it. It's fun. And, and it's your will. Yes. Yeah. Uh, when iPhone first launched, it didn't have an SDK. So my wife got an iPhone and I genuinely couldn't care less. I thought well, this is very nice. Look at the way it rotates the pictures and stuff. And you, you turn your phone around very nice. But I wasn't interested because I couldn't. I couldn't hack on it very easily. I there wasn't an official API, uh, API set available, no SDK. I couldn't do much. And only when they finally launched the SDK, I downloaded it and got started, and things kind of went from there. But before then, it was like I, I, can't really do much with this. I'm not very interested. But it took me until at least I think I, I shipped my first app in iOS three. The think SDK had been out for a full year by that point, and I'd shipped an app and got it out. So it took me a while to get into that because I didn't really care until it was hackable. Mm-hmm.
2: So when you say hackable, what exactly do you mean?
0: I, w- I want to make apps for it. That's what it comes down to. Obviously, you, can, you, can, you could have made uh, apps beforehand, before the SDK launched. People did uh, using unofficial APIs, and that's cool too. But I want op- uh, open, documented, useful APIs available to me to work with. That's all I care about. That's why I've, you know, I've, I've written Windows Mobile, a basically useless platform but it was great fun. It was great fun. It, it, you know, it, it ran .NET 2 on a fairly rubbish HTC device. But it was easy to hack on. It was great fun to hack on. Xbox 360, you know, it runs C Sharp, had a brilliant set of game APIs called XNA. It had, you know, Wi-Fi debugging way, you know, years before Xcode 9 was even thought of. Um, and it all worked. It worked brilliantly. These devices were great fun to hack on, even though ultimately it went nowhere. But iPhone, just for me, originally wasn't interesting because I couldn't get hold of these official APIs until finally they launched it, and it went from there.
1: I was going to say, did you actually build anything for Xbox at all? Like any like, shipping, shipping product? I, I, you I mean, or? Do
0: you remember, what was it called? Xbox Indie Games or something they called it? Well, remember, remember the original Xbox 360 um, look and feel? And mm-hmm. they, they launched this new thing called NXE, the New Xbox Experience. And it had a redesigned user interface. And at that time, I launched this thing, which I think was called Xbox Indie Games. I was there on day one, the launch day, for game, for a full game for Xbox 360. And it, you know, it made, I don't know, $10, $9,000, $10,000. Not a lot of money. But it was lots of fun. It was actually an app I wrote for, what was it first? It was Windows Mobile first, then ported to Xbox 360, then ported to Linux, then ported to iPhone. <laughs> so by the time I got to, Android, to iPhone, sorry, it was the really mangiest code you could possibly imagine, but it certainly worked. And uh, yeah, I did chips off Xbox. It was fun. It was a great API to work with.
2: Were you always interested in computers? Because it sounds like you're very much like both Tim and I, where we kind of like just jump from technology to technology and figure things out and, you know, art, science. Yeah, we
0: took our toys apart when we were kids. Absolutely. You know, even when I was uh, I know, eight or so, I remember programming or trying to program on my ZX Spectrum, typing in stuff from magazines and stuff. Um, you know, my parents didn't have a lot of cash. Or I didn't have a lot to work with. But what we had, we were spent on, on computer stuff. Uh, and I don't think that's necessarily a good thing. I mean, it's given me a broad experience of computers over the ages, which is interesting and very geeky in a way. Um, but it took me until I was about 26 or so to realize the world was bigger than just computing science. There's much more out there. You know, I did a second degree in literature. I did a master's degree in classics, i.e., Latin and Greek, um, to try and widen my horizons a little bit because I was getting Mm -hmm. so stuck into computing science and kind of forgetting the rest of the world existed, which is sad really. There's much more out there. It's a beautiful world out there. So I, kind of had to reverse a little bit and look at the wider picture. That's been very enjoyable, I think.
2: One of the things that you're notable for within our community, and that's the design and development community, is how quickly you're able to produce content. I mean, you know, we talked about it at the top of the show, you know, joked about it like, oh my gosh, you know, this barely came out and here it is. Paul Hudson's already out there. How do you find the time to, one, research the topic? Because it I mean, you're on the bleeding edge of technology a lot of times. How do you find the time to do that? And where do you find the information in order to make it available to other people?
0: Well, I think I should start by saying it's not a skill you're born with. I'm not like innately uh, equipped to write things quickly. Uh, I had to be trained. Uh, You know, I worked as a magazine editor for eight years, I said. And with magazines, they come out in the UK 13 times a year, once every month, plus a Christmas issue, because, you know, we can get some extra money there. So we do 13 issues a year. And as a magazine editor, you're sitting there looking at a blank, flat plan for a magazine that's got to go to press in about four weeks' time. And you've got to fill up with stuff. And at no point can you say, ah, this, this issue is just turning out too hard. Let's scrap August and go straight to September. Right? You can't do that. That's not an option. There has to be a magazine printed in four weeks' time on the newsstand in six weeks' time, you know, being mailed out to the world uh, for subscribers. So you are effectively trained to constantly think on your feed. what to do if you haven't got enough content, what to do when something new springs on you, what to do when you've got not enough content or too much content, how to get it into the right shape quickly. And, you know, Future had a lot of training courses that they put me on to make me the best editor I could be, or at least the best editor they were willing to pay for me to be. <laughs> uh, and, you know, they were important. They were really important. And I, I, I've said before on a, a other podcast, I went in this fantastic training course. It was about review writing. How do you review stuff? You're given a product to review or multiple products to review. How do you write a good review of a product? Uh, at the end of the day, we were told, okay, here are eight bottles of uh, mineral water, you know, Evian or whatever, mineral water, to drink, drink. Your job, people, is to go away and write a 200-word group test of these eight bottles of water and come back and tell us how you did. You've got, you know, half an hour, an hour, go and write something. Go away. Go and write a group test. Go and write eight reviews in, this, in 200 words. And I wrote this magazine, Linux Format, the, the geekiest magazine but a long way that Future ever published. It's all about, you know, lots of coding, lots of technical stuff that, you know, it's very hard to work with. Anyway, so I was used to writing terribly in-depth, long-winded, 3,000-word articles about small things. Here's how to use the Zen hypervisor, whatever. And I was told to write eight of these things in, in two hundred words. I really struggled. You know, I think well, i have about 25 words to describe each bottle of water. That, that's, that's, that's like one quarter of a sentence for me. I really struggled. And I came back with a terrible review where I tried almost like a telegram message of <laughs> <a> brevity <laughs> to describe these eight bottles of water. And uh, I looked around and I, I, I was expecting everyone else to have done as badly as I did, but they didn't. You know, the, someone from the games team who was sat next to me basically said, okay, we've got 200 words and eight bottles of water. We're going to toss away four bottles of water as not being worth discussing. Then we'll say the three of the remaining ones were okay. They'll get like 25 or 35 words each. The best one gets 100 words. So they totally re the way of looking at the group test to do it in a way I would never have done and allowed them to produce better, more effective, smarter content, even though they have the same task as me. And that's the kind of thing that I was taught to in these training courses. When you're given a a complicated task, how do you simplify it and redefine the task so it becomes doable in the, you know, one month time frame you have? And of course, in a magazine, you don't print one thing, you print 30 things or 40 things across the whole magazine. You got to do this, you know, in in, in 30 days, you've got to do 40 things. So you're basically trained over these eight years to constantly streamline and write faster and write more effectively. And... Like I said, redefine tasks to make the best use of your time. So again, I am not magically born with the ability to write stuff very quickly or to think up stuff very quickly or think of my feet very quickly. I've literally been trained through years and years and years of uh, being an editor of a magazine to do that. So I count myself quite lucky, actually.
2: When you're researching a topic, like for instance, you know, uh, what is it? Swift Forges just came out and iOS 11 and now, boom, you already have a book. How do you go out and research these things?
0: Well, I think the first place I start is kind of the most obvious. So, you know, I, I've, I've written a lot of apps for the App Store myself, personal ones, plus apps for, you know, big companies like UBS or Fender or so forth. But personal apps for my own spare time. I've written a lot of those, over, over 100 over the years. And my most popular apps are about Latin and Greek which is a really strange, popular app to have. But thats as I said, my, my master's degree is in, in Latin and Greek, right? So I, as a personal interest of mine, I enjoy Latin and Greek. I wanted an app about Latin and Greek in my pocket, wherever I went, I can read Latin or, or read Greek. I made this app for myself, basically. And as it turns out, a lot of other people are as Latin and geeky uh, Greeky geek as me. And this, my, my apps, my classics apps, Pay for my mortgage. They they put the mm. down it on my house, and that pays my mortgage because there's lots of other folks like me. It's a premium-priced app. Universities buy them a hundred at a time because they buy it for their entire class at a time, which is fantastic, obviously. So it's good, and that's that kind of goes back to a, a I think a Steve Jobs quote about you know where the best things come at the intersection between technology and the liberal arts, where we have the ability to do something, we have the coding ability to make something, plus a passionate interest in something. It doesn't really matter what it is, whether it's cross-stitching or guitar playing or Linux or who knows what, or Latin and Greek. Put those two together, and you've got a great app opportunity. So with my apps, my plan is basically make something for myself and basically imagine there are 100,000 folks out there just like me. And they kind of are at this point. And even though I I think I'm a beautiful and unique snowflake, ultimately there are one billion (laughs) iOS users in the world. I am not that beautiful and that unique. So there are other folks out there that like, like me, and they'll, they'll buy my apps, ideally. And with the books, that's my starting point. What book do I want to read about this topic? I look at iOS 11. I look at a big list of features and go, this one looks interesting. This one looks interesting, but probably quite niche. This one looks difficult and not interesting. I kind of whittle down three or 400 features into the seven or eight I really care about. You know, I, I sit and read through the API diffs when they are published eventually by third parties nowadays, sadly, looking for every tiny change across UI kit or other change going on and whittle it down to a document and then go down to down, 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 down. Eventually I find a list of things I really, really care about that I can personally get attached to and enjoy talking about. And then, I, obviously, I go into researching it. I have to try and find out how they work. And as you say, that is rather hard at first because there isn't a lot out there. Apple, uh, because of their secrecy, Uh, Obviously, don't always publish documentation for things. Even today, there are things saying, you know, no docs available for certain new classes, which is very annoying. Uh, With the WWDC videos, they don't often often publish the source code, which is even better. Thanks, Apple. Um, So often I am forced to sit at Xcode and pretty much scream, (laughs) pretty much say, I close the door so my kids can't hear. Then... Really vent my rage at my monitor. I've got a nice big screen to scream at uh, while I try and figure out how things work. And you know, I, I try and publish my what's new in iOS n feature the night of the announcement. So you know, I watch the keynote at what is it? 2 p.m. The State of the Union keynote it's 2 p.m. Pacific time, uh, which is you know 8 p.m. here, sorry, 10 p.m. here. That finishes at midnight here. I start writing about half past midnight. So I, about, by about 5.30 a.m., I finished the article of what's new in iOS N. Um, and that's mostly lots of screening, trying to figure out how it works, because it's so woefully documented at first. And uh, occasionally, I'm lucky enough that someone at Apple responds. Um, I email them saying, listen, you, you you've done your usual trick of not giving any source code. Can you help me out? And they will do. But more often than not, it's complete silence. And uh, if you've ever attended WWDC, you'll know the labs really make it come to life. The labs are amazing because you can say, "Hey, you—you uh, you wrote this thing," or "You know, she wrote this thing," or "He wrote this thing." Whatever it is, you can grab them and say, "How does it work? Why does my code not work? Damn it!" And they'll help you fix it. Um, sadly, I haven't been there for like three years now, so I'm kind of struggling around blind. And you know, it, it sounds awful, but that's the 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 blunt truth of it. I fire up Xcode, I type in some code, it doesn't work. I type in some more code. That doesn't work. Fast forward 30 minutes past the sort of uh, Charlie Brown teacher-style screaming effect. Yeah, I got something that works. Brilliant. Move on.
1: Yeah, you totally <laughs> described the entire development process for most of us for the last <laughs> seven years. But So before we move on to something, I just want to go back to this, this game team of yours that, that gamed the whole review process. So because now I have doubt right and the, my doubt is this can we trust reviews in magazines where they review a multiple bunch of products and they choose one or two shining stars to be held, heralded above the rest I'm, I'm thinking in mostly with you know reviews of 3d printers which I've been reading re- recently you know um, is, is, is that a thing in in uh, in you know where, where they basically threw out the four bottles of water and said these ones are rubbish we're not going to
0: talk about them so the they didn't gain the process. That's that's a, a, a an unfair way to describe it, I think. Okay, well, I just, yeah. Bottled water was chosen by the teacher because, let's face it, it's all the same. Water, yeah, I know, exactly. <laughs> it's yeah. water, right? So yeah. at, is, is the label shiny? Do I like the packaging? What's the lid like? Um, but let's take 3D printers as a much more uh, realistic example. Uh, they will absolutely cherry pick the selection of stuff. They have to. They have mm-hmm, to, mm-hmm. when you're printing a magazine of 132, 116 pages or a website, you have, you know, a, a, it costs about 100 bucks to put up a web page, uh, an article about something, maybe 200 bucks and a longer one. You have to spend that money wisely. And there are hundreds of 3D printers, thanks to the sort of floods on Amazon's uh, stuff from random manufacturers from Shenzhen or whatever. Um, there are lots and lots and lots of them out there. But most people do not want to read through the dross. They don't care right, about the fast right. job. They care about which ones are actually likely to be useful to me. So, immediately, the person you're, you're paying to write the review has to exercise some judgment and say, listen, this one here, it's basically the same as these other five, or whatever it is. So, that could just go out the window and they will cherry pick eight. And from there, in my experience, it's very fair. You know, I've worked with so many journalists over the years, I've hired so <laughs> many journalists over the years, and paid so many journalists over the years. They work extremely hard to. Uh, Be fair and be unbiased, and you know we used to get complaints all the time, all the time. You, you, for us with the format, you know, you favour Ubuntu far too much or something like that. And you know, I'd have to sit there, I'd I'd look through all the back issues, and I'd count the pages and say, listen, we did only this much or that much, and it's difficult. And you know, it's often it's not so much what you do or what you say; uh, it's how people. In, in, infer what you said, infer what you did. So you want to be seen to do the right thing as well as do the right thing, if that makes sense. Uh, so it's a it's a it's sometimes a no-win situation.
1: True. I didn't, I didn't mean to make it sound like you guys are are, are uh, working in the system, if you want to call it that. But, um, <laughs> well, because, I mean, Tammy and I both write for com and, and it's the same sort of thing there where we have to, you know, we have to write sort of from an impartial level to, you know, it, it, we pick and choose things, and I also I also do a tech podcast. And admittedly, we the, the four of us or three of us get together and pick and choose from. The week's tech in terms of what we found out, what, what we're going to talk about. And and we just before the show goes on, we, we pitch things that are just not relevant or whatever.
0: So I totally understand your vetting process. But um, that's what makes, that makes, makes your podcast unique and liked by people. Right. They, they yeah. value your selection. The selection you've made, those choices you've made, the whittling you've done is different from whittling I would do or someone else right. would do. And that makes your thing unique and valuable.
2: Right. It's True. also very, very personal. You know, when you're, it's almost like art, when you go into a museum and you're looking at art, I might look at one thing and think, wow, that is so incredible. And Tim might come behind me and be like, dude, that's just a green dot on the wall. Why are you so excited? You know, so it's, it's how you look at things that I think makes these review processes very interesting. I agree. You better agree. This is my podcast, man.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And she chose you.
0: It's true. That's true.
2: All right. I want to back up just a little bit more and go into like your whole process of how you write, what you use to write. Are you using any tools and stuff like what's the tech behind what you're writing? Are you coming up with outlines? Are you working in, God forbid, Microsoft Word? Are you using something like ByWord or Scrivener? How are you doing your tech? How are you doing your writing?
0: Fundamentally, I, I keep it very, very simple. I have a big folder on my desktop called Swift, which is one gigantic GitHub repository. And in that GitHub repository contains all the text and all the projects, source code, all the images, all the website material uh, for my entire Swift life, effectively, all the source code. For everything is in there, including the entire website as well. Uh, so the books are just markdown files. I edit with IAWriter Writer and then commit to GitHub. And that's really as simple as you can get i don't think it can get much simpler than that uh, i do have some tools i kind of wrote for myself to convert the markdown files into the output books i've got a number of long scripts and uh, actually an ios app to do some of the work uh because it, it, it creates output i happen to quite like and my readers quite like so i leave it alone but nearly entirely it's just github and ia writer which I think is pretty trivial, actually. I could probably do more advanced stuff, but I don't need to, don't want to.
1: So you just scored a whole bunch of points by talking about markdown with Tammy. But um, <laughs> so I'm curious from my old, my own background is in publishing as well. But uh, so I'm curious as to how you go from um, your markdown GitHub sources. You, you said you wrote some scripting. I understand that, but um, how does how does that become? Do you do you publish to like PDF online and sell that way, or do you ever go so, print? Uh, or you know, I,
0: I use this process because of Experience effectively. You know, I, I wrote some books years ago with Pearson and one with O'Reilly. And the Pearson one was a load of Microsoft Word documents with track changes turned on and just bouncing around reviewers who left comments and you accept or reject and yada, yada, yada. And the O'Reilly one was a load of um, uh, XML being put into subversion at the time because it was like 2004 or so uh and unsurprisingly <laughs> the subversion/xml one was significantly superior to work with because you could obviously track any problems, track any corrections much more easily um, and that's why I've kept my process quite similar to that because it is simple. it is clean and clear. <clears throat> and the scripts I write uh, I, I I run the my little uh, script. it outputs epub, Kindle and HTML from one script. And I run it through an iOS app to generate PDFs from that. And it works well. It takes right, maybe, uh, right. two minutes to run.
1: Yeah, the EPUB is sort of a uh, XML with an HTML backing kind of thing. I've done a few EPUBs myself.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. The format itself is pretty grungy, but uh, I've got a script. I don't even think, I don't even go near no, the no, script yeah. I anymore, you know. Actually, I'm, I'm modifying it right now because I'm, I've got a new thing I'm working on, and it requires a more advanced EPUB. So I'm busy futzing with the EPUB generator in the dark hole of the script I wrote years ago. Uh, and of course, it's completely uncommented. You know, at the time I'm sitting there, you know, glasses mm-hmm. of wine, thinking, "This is a great script." Nah, disaster. So I'm, I'm busy uh, cleaning up the EPUB script right now.
2: You're mostly doing self-publishing at this point, right? You're not working with any of the bigger publishers or even the smaller independent publishers.
0: Absolutely, exclusively at this point. And I still get you know royalty checks through for older books. But you know, when you when you sign a a, a deal with a publisher, you'll get I don't know, fifteen percent royalty rate, maybe. Um, that's what you get, and that's on the uh, <clears throat> revenue of the book. <clears throat> so, when I put out, you know, I had to do uh, Ubuntu Unleashed 2017, a new edition of my older book, uh, which is like 40 bucks to buy. Half the money will go to the bookseller, leaves 20 bucks. That comes in. They remove their costs, printing and so forth, paper, literally, distribution costs and so forth. And then you get 15% at the end of the day, uh, which is very, very little money. Um, so when I sell online directly through to my consumers, I get ninety six, ninety seven percent. You know, I get nearly mm. the money. So I I kind of have to sell only a handful of books every day to make enough to live on. Nice. Um, yeah. And of course, what I found is that if someone likes my writing once, they'll like it again. So I I've, I've got a sort of fourteen thousand person mailing list I can mail to. Hey, there's a new book out. Do you want to buy it? And so many of my readers have bought all 11 books now uh it's fantastic i love the support they keep giving me so they they tend to buy new books when i release them which gives me a nice base to work from which i of course never had when i was doing printed books i had to sell more to make the amount of money because you get a loyal royalty rate but also i couldn't market them quite so easily in the future so i think self-publishing has worked out very well so far
2: now what are you using to do that like what is your distribution model if you don't mind me asking
0: you mean the company does all the distribution for me?
2: Yeah, because I know you're... If if I look at hackingwithswift.com I'm, and I go to purchase a book, it takes me over to Gumroad. Is that where That's you're... That's right, yeah. How did you find them and what made you decide to go with them?
0: Oh, you know, I I, I, I went to them because of the Obj CIO guys, Florian um, <clears throat> and... Oh, what's that person, Ole? I uh, went went with them as well. They sell their books through uh, Gumroad. I thought, well, if they're doing it, it must be good. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> basically, trust them, uh, and uh, it's worked out well. You know, I, I, Gumroad have their flaws; they're not perfect. Uh, I'm, I'm increasingly doubtful about their long term future, um, but for now, they're doing a great job. Uh, so I'm happy to stay with them.
1: Yeah, they've been around for a bit. I remember you looking at them when we were talking about doing EPubs back in the
0: days as well, right? So. Yeah, they've been around for a bit, but they're not pushing forward anymore. Wow, they I were advancing quite quickly and having new features and stuff, and they've stopped doing that. And that depresses me because I need new features to work with. I've got ideas I want to do, and I can't do them because there's not enough features in Gumroad to work with, and uh, it holds me back a little bit.
2: So are you just on Gumroad, or are you also publishing through Amazon and Barnes & Noble? I don't I like
0: don't that? use Amazon. I, I used Amazon originally. Um I was just trying them out. I did uh, KDP, the Kindle publishing thing and they're okay. Um, but I also use iBooks now. iBooks is better than Kindle because you can release updates. You know, all my books you know, all 11 books come with a free lifetime update for Swift. So when Swift four comes out, you'll get a Swift four version of your book free of charge. Swift five, Swift six, Swift seven, so forth. It's all free of charge, free updates. And iBooks lets me do that as well as Gumroad, so uh, Kindle does not, which is a bit of a downside. So I'm not too fond of Kindle. I uh, prefer iBooks, which it's awesome.
2: All right, so <laughs> your so your big distribution channels would be Gumroad and iBooks. Mark that down, Tim. Mostly, Tim. It's important. Mostly oh, I'm Gumroad,
0: noted. Mostly, mostly Gumroad. iBooks is a fraction of of uh, Gumroad sales, but I do it because some folks, you know, quite rightly, don't trust someone they don't know, they, they, they trust Apple, they buy from Apple their movies or their apps, whatever, they buy books from Apple, they trust Apple. That's totally cool. I, I get that. So I use iBooks just specifically for those people. Now,
2: would you say that you get some of your readers directly from Gumroad, or do you think that they funnel through Hacking with Swift to Gumroad?
0: Mostly it's people coming from me to them. There's a small number of referrals, but again, it's just done so badly on Gumroad that I don't think it's like to add up to much. They do tell me, and it's it, you know, it's it's a rounding error compared to my actual figures from the site.
2: Well, true mm. confession right here, right now, on roundabout creative chaos. The only reason I know about Gumroad is because of hacking with Swift. I see. Wow. Honestly, I I wouldn't have even known who they were unless I had found them through your site.
0: Well, they should pay me,
2: right? <laughs> <laughs> <The option laughs> Seriously.
0: I do it. Lauren and, and, and Chris Eidhoff used them. Um, I'm sure uh, Moazam, you've actually had him on your podcast previously. Right, yeah. yep. mm-hmm. His book is available through Gumroad. Um, so people do use it. I think you need to spend some money buying, buying books, Tammy. That's the actual issue here, I think.
1: Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care.
2: Do you have an epic journey you'd like to share? Is there someone you want to hear on the show? If so, please visit our website at roundaboutfm.com for details. Or you can send us an email at interviews at roundaboutfm.com.
1: So, Paul, we have this uh, section of the show we call Inside the Chaotic Studio, and we have a series of 13 questions. I don't know if you've heard the show before, but... Um Sort of loosely based on the work of Marcel Proust and something Cami came up with. And we'd use it to sort of, um, I like to see, peel back the layers of the onion and find out what makes you tick. So if you're ready, we've got some interesting questions for you.
0: Well, it's, it's that or I write a new book on iOS 12. I don't mind. So I guess I'm ready.
1: Okay. All right. Um, so first one is pretty simple. What is your favorite color?
0: Uh, I'm a big fan of British racing green. But more Great. recently, I've been buying a lot of red things. So
1: yeah.
0: Okay, cool. What's your least favorite color? Orange. But only because it's often used by folks designing websites, look at it and think, ah, oh, this site looks boring. It needs something more. I know. Orange. And then it looks pretty. <laughs> nice. All right. What is your favorite word? Oh, it's an easy one. Uh knocking the Say that again. Floxy knocking the Okay, uh, it's, a, it's a silly word that was invented from a line in a uh, book called the Eton Latin Grammar. It, the book lists these verbs in Latin that take the object in genitive case, of which the first four are floxy, knocky, nihili, and *pilly*. Uh, there you go. It's a fascinating fact for you. second fact for you, it's the longest word ever used in the British Parliament by a member of Parliament. Nice, okay. Nice, there you go. Know. This is the kind of answers we like, by the way. <laughs> it's the it's the act or habit of describing or regarding something as unimportant or having no value.
1: Mm, okay, yeah. Now, not I don't seen, know if you know... <laughs> I actually had, I think I heard part of that before, but... So, I, I'm from Canada, by the way, and, and one of our um, il, uh, illustrious prime ministers once claimed that he said fuddle-duddle in, in Parliament, but uh, we believe he said something else. <laughs> um What's your least favorite word? Uh, people have least favorite words? <laughs>
0: yeah, they do. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Okay. Uh, you're from Canada, right? Okay. I'll, yes. give, you an, I'll give you an Americanism then. I, I, it works in Canada too. My least favorite word is one I've only ever heard in the U.S. Maybe it occurs in the Canada too. It's the word, I can't even remember how to say it. <clears throat> it's the word burglarize. 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 We don't have that word in the UK. It sounds silly. We use burgle. You've been burgle. burgle. Oh, Bur- right. Yeah. I will burgle you. You've burgled me. I've been burgled, whatever. Burglarize. It just seems like adding more letters to a, a word necessarily, really.
1: Interesting.
0: Huh.
1: All right. Um, what's your biggest pet peeve? What annoys you the most?
0: I don't really have that much that annoys me. I try to be pretty chill. I can give you two small ones, maybe, <laughs> in place of one big one. Uh, I guess I get a little bit annoyed by Apple sessions at WWDC where they magic away all sorts of complexity. You know, they say, all I've got to do is call this one massive function I wrote earlier and won't show you here. And wow, it just totally works. Uh, <laughs> you know, I said previously, I've been lucky enough to have emailed some Apple engineers to have them send me their source code and I can see what was happening behind the scenes. But that really annoys me when they do that because it doesn't, doesn't help anybody. <clears throat> and the second one isn't really a P, but it does give me sort of an involuntary eye twitch. And that's people who email me saying they've just started learning Swift and they have problems with my tutorials because they installed a beta version of Xcode and a beta version of Swift and things don't work. And my response is, hold up. If you're just learning Swift, I think beta Xcode, beta Swift, back off a little bit. Just install the stable version, go the easy way, work from there that be much easier. Not really a P, but it does give me, like I said, a nice Right.
1: I think Xcode generally is a pet peeve for a lot of developers, though. So. I like Xcode. Yeah. Well, compared to other IDs, of course. Yeah, for sure. Um, so think about this for a minute. Who is your favorite fictional character?
0: I either get any rinse wind from Terry Pratchett's Discworld series, who Uh, I love because he's just so very well-written. Or it's the cat from Red Dwarf, who is so astonishingly cool Uh, (laughs) as a character and as an actor too. You know, Danny John Jules is just completely darn slick. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Ow! Sterling uh, Sterling Archer, who is just crazily wrong on so many levels, but still makes me laugh. Sorry, that's three. Um, I like a lot of fictional characters. That's
1: okay, that's okay. So I, I have a question for Tammy. Have you watched Red Dwarf, Tammy?
2: You know, I was hoping you were not going to ask me. No, I haven't.
1: That's another one for the list. Oh my god, it's on. It's on It's on the Netflix. All right, uh, let's move on. So, who is your role model?
0: For my writing, um, easily my biggest role model is a woman called Kathy Sierra, who isn't so well known anymore, which is a real shame. She has this blog called Creating Passionate Users. Or had this blog. Uh, and she was hounded off the internet by trolls. No. It was, it was grim. It was, just, it was some years ago now, and she hasn't come back. Uh, and I feel just so privileged for having worked with her and her partner, Bert Bates. It goes on in like a few weeks. Her work is just so inspirational to me. Even today, I refer to this blog, I refer to her books. She's just uh, an, an idol to me uh, in terms of the way she approaches communication, approaches teaching, approaches computers. Um, just amazing. I'm also, non-technically speaking, a huge fan of Mary Beard, who is a professor of classics at Cambridge. Uh, And not only because she uses my my Latin and Greek apps, um, she's in her early 60s, she's hugely qualified, she's on Twitter, and she's female, which apparently is some sort of uh, magnet for trolls on Twitter, those four together. Um, But she deals with the trolls so gracefully. She's just hugely generous and forgiving and tries to work through them and, and, and debate with them rationally, even as they're screaming and swearing at her. Um, it's just remarkable how generous she can be with these people.
1: Wow. Well, so
0: what do you fear the most? Uh, anything, anything at all bad happening to my kids. I just can't even think about it without choking up.
1: Mm-hmm. All right. So... In your life story, who would play you in the
0: movie? Uh, yeah. So, so if we assume it would happen, uh, which is very unlikely, but we'll see it happens. Um, it would either be someone um, like, remember Rick Moranis?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yep. Canadian. Someone like yeah. him could play idiot me, sort of cl- clowning around blindly. Or someone like David Hyde Pierce, who played Niles Crane in the yep. sitcom Frasier. It was an emotionally clueless intellectual with more knowledge of opera than people. Um, nice. someone, someone like that, I think, would do it quite nicely. Okay. So what is your biggest dream? Oh, that's easy. I want to be able to work from anywhere. You know, I've had the privilege of traveling a lot. I love doing it. But now I work for myself, what I want to be able to do is spend the summer somewhere else. You know, My family can travel around. I can travel too. But I want to be able to work somewhere really inspiring and different. You know, I could say, okay, it's summer, it's August, we're going to Geneva for four weeks, or we're going to Iceland for four weeks, or we're going to Verona for four weeks, and just work somewhere interesting, while also having a holiday. That's my goal.
1: One of our one of our partners over at com, I think he, through marriage perhaps, but he lives half the year in Thailand and half the year in the UK, so... I think he comes back to the UK for the miserable bits. Which bits are that? <laughs> <laughs> the dreariness and the rain and all that. Yeah.
0: That's, that's the entire year. Yeah, yeah. Um, what's your greatest achievement? Uh, absolutely, undoubtedly, my children. You know, I'm really proud of them and they make my heart feel full. So, how many? How old? I have two uh, one's seven and one's three. Uh, we adopted the three-year-old two years ago, uh, and it's been a blast. We've had a, a roller coaster time. <laughs> I think we're through the worst of it onto the good stuff now, but um, they're, they're great to have around.
1: Mm-hmm, for sure. So what do you regret the most?
0: Is that the kind of thing people admit on podcasts? <laughs>
1: well, some of them don't have regrets. I've
0: we, got we have, so many regrets.
1: We've uh, had people who don't have any at all.
0: Yeah, they say that. Um, um I used to be a really terrible manager, like awful, you know, distant, uncommunicative, unfriendly, unhelpful, just downright mean. And you know, I look back on those times and realize I, I actually hurt people. I, I do regret that deeply. Hmm.
1: All right. So if you could choose another profession, what would it be?
0: So I said I have a uh, my master's in, in classics, which is Latin and Greek. And, uh, I guess I'd like to be a classicist, which sadly uh, is often a euphemism for someone who makes lattes. Um, but if we're in this fancy land, then I'd be working in a, a lovely museum somewhere, um, teaching people about Latin and Greek stuff.
1: Cool. So this isn't part of the questions, but what did you think about the life of Brian scene where... The
0: Centurion is correcting Brian's use of Latin. So the website for my Latin apps, if you want to buy them, is RomansGoHome.com. <laughs> of course. That, I believe, answers your questions. <laughs> People call this the Romans, is
2: an inside joke, isn't it?
1: Oh, you don't, Have you seen Life of Brian, Tammy? <laughs> oh,
2: gosh. No, I haven't seen it. Jeez, man.
0: Right, I'm gonna, get you, I'm gonna I'm gonna start a podcast and get you on my podcast and ask you why you haven't seen these films.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, the list is long and the reasons are many. Oh
0: man,
1: man, really? You've seen the Holy? on the Holy Grail, Tammy. Please tell me that.
2: I've seen enough of it.
1: <laughs> enough of it. Okay, right. But well, we're leaving. That's <laughs> left that unasked. Yeah. So the two of us are leaving the podcast to you, Tammy. Bye.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Later.
1: All right. So actually, this is the most important question of the podcast. It is. No, the this theme- is really
2: what decides whether or not this podcast is like a real podcast.
1: And it gets aired or not. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so we need a very, very firm and, and, and convicted answer from you. Okay, so what would you do in a zombie apocalypse?
0: Well, obviously I'd go to the Winchester, have a pint and wait for it all to blow over.
2: <laughs> I, see I have, I have mixed feelings about that answer.
1: Why is that? Well, he'd be like he'd be like Simon Pegg in the movie. He'd be wandering around like you know, with his head not screwed on right as the zombies are all around him for, you know, the first
0: day or so, right? I'd be a, I'd be oblivious for quite a while, but I have got a cricket bat. So, I'm ready.
2: I think you need to tell Paul why that question is so important and how it's more than just do we publish this podcast or not.
1: Well, Tammy's building a zombie uh, apocalypse army.
2: Right. So okay. she,
1: needs to, she needs to find people on, who can. On
0: whose know, side? On her side. <laughs> on her side. Okay.
2: <laughs> do you even like zombies, Paul?
0: Do I like zombies? Is well, well that hang that on. No, that,
2: that's, yeah, it is kind of a <laughs>
0: trick question. You mentioned. You mentioned Edgar Wright already. So is that how you get into your army? Do you like zombies? No. <laughs> well, you're in there.
1: <laughs> no, we need right. people who we need people who can do research. We need people who can write books on Swift. We need people who can run and get grab groceries and and we need bait too.
2: <laughs> oh my All goodness, right. we've Paul! Lo- we've lost control. We have lost, lost control. control, Paul. If you want to stay for the after show where we talk about things that are really irrelevant in the world, like zombies, you're certainly welcome to hang and, out. And for a the list after-
0: of movies that Tammy needs to watch as well. Honestly, you've said zombies so many times in the last five minutes. It sounds like a Life of Brian Jehovah stoning scene. <laughs> <laughs> the next person to say zombies <laughs> will get stoned, you know. But yes, I'll, I'll happily stick around.
2: Oh, good. All right, then let me wrap up cool. the show in in the proper way, and we'll head over to the after show after this. Hey, Paul, if people wanted to find out what you were working on next and how they can get in touch with you, where would they go?
0: Uh... I'm on Twitter, like most folks. Uh, I'm at two straws, TWO straws. Uh, also on Reddit, as two straws, Stack Overflow is two straws, GitHub as two straws. It's actually pretty easy once you know the two straws part. Uh, you can also email me. I am Paul at hackingwithswift.com. I'm speaking at various conferences soon. I'm at iOS Dev UK and Aberystwyth, SwiftConf in Cologne, uh, PragmaConf in Verona, and UA Mobile in Kiev. And the next big thing I'm working on, I think, I think is a completely original idea for a Sprite Kit book. So I'm doing a lot mm. of research for that. And I believe it all works. It will teach folks how to make Sprite Kit in a creative and fun and original way. And so far the research is looking really good. So I'm excited about it.
2: You know, my interest just got peaked when you said Sprite Kit, right? That's like my favorite mm. Yeah,
0: but you know, Tammy, it's the end of the show now. We're
2: I'm don't. i going to be so confused as to what to talk about in the after show. Do we talk about Sprite Kid? Do we talk about zombies? Do we talk about movies I haven't seen? No, we don't talk about that. Anyway.
0: It's, it's a great book, I'm sure, so far anyway.
2: All right. Well, I got to hear more about that. But in the meantime, let me wrap up this episode of Roundabout Creative Chaos. You can find us on the web at roundaboutfm.com. We are also on Twitter and Facebook at roundaboutfm. And if you enjoy the podcast, please consider writing a review on iTunes. If you're listening on Overcast, be sure to hit that star button. And don't forget to let Twitter machine know that you're listening. It really helps us out. And of course, you can send us your feedback and guest requests to interviews at roundaboutfm.com. And finally, I am winded, (laughs) but you can help support the show. Oh, my goodness. I think, Tim, you should totally take over before I pass out from man,
1: here. Man, that just caught me in the middle of doing something else. Uh, <laughs>
0: <laughs> where were you in this thing? I can't remember.
2: I was right at the Close about- Candy
0: Crush Saga now. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about
2: Patreon, Tim. I'm sweating over here. I turned oh, yeah, my air yeah, yeah, off yeah, like yeah. hours ago. It's like 100 oh, degrees man. in my
1: house. Okay, so if you'd like to support the show, you can find Tammy's, or you can find Tammy's account on Patreon at patreoncom slash code. Is that it?
2: You're like a professional, Tim. I know. And what do they have to do now?
1: Put on your headphones. This is the good part. Take it away, Felipe. If any zombies happen to get into your house, go for the brains. We insist I do not leave your house set the world Thank you very much for your on cooperation. I just want to start the
2: Welcome to the after-show, Paul, where we talk about zombies, and I want to hear about the Sprite Kit book you're writing.
0: Oh, I want to talk about zombies.
2: All right, we'll talk about zombies. You're <laughs> the guest. Mom always says you got to be the customer is always right, and the guests are always you know the ones. Well, the ones problem who get is I pick, haven't so.
0: announced the Sprite Kit book yet. I haven't told folks what my idea is, and I don't want oh, to God. spoil it because this don't thing. Worry. actually the way, time to so. it gets us out, it won't, it won't be a problem.
2: <laughs> oh, oh, if I could reach through the Skype and throat punch you, oh, man, <laughs> we'd be there. Yeah,
0: it's, it's most books I write, you know, I say let's do a Mac OS book or a Watch OS book. It's just basically write a load of words, write some projects, and, you know, put it out there. Well, there's obviously water it than that, but that's the basic thing. That this one requires actual research. Will this idea work or not? Because it might not work. I don't want to say, hey, I'm doing this great sprite kit. It's going to be awesome, da and here it is, and then it ends up being a disaster and not working as planned, which is why I have not announced it yet.
2: All right, we're totally talking about zombies then.
0: <laughs> When's the podcast going out? Got me asking. Uh, how many weeks how many, how many do I have to try and rush through my research?
2: I'm gonna, I'm gonna be conservative here and say four weeks.
0: Four wow. weeks? Oh, I can tell you, four weeks is ages away.
2: I know, right? Do
0: you want to hear my idea?
2: Yeah, I do. Do Go you the, want the, the, wait? Do you, the, you want this in the show?
0: Oh, that's fine. It's been four weeks. It's fine. It's fine. Right. It's fine. No, I've, told, I've told no one else. This might be a terrible idea for a book.
2: Roundabout exclusive folks right here, right now, unless it takes me six yeah. weeks to edit this podcast.
0: <laughs> hey, you, you may have heard about it here first. You,
2: you may have heard it here first.
0: You <laughs> may have heard it about weeks ago. Who knows? But <laughs> equally, you may not hear about it at all because it might be a disaster. The research might prove wrong next week or the week after. It might bail out entirely. Anyway, uh, when you were young, because you were already asked me about my childhood and I asked you about your childhood, did you ever read the book, books series, Choose Your Own Adventure? Oh my goodness! I, yeah. Look,
2: okay, look, you guys are going to freak out, not believe me, but I was thinking he's going to ask me about Choose Your Own Adventure. I swear to Good. God, that is exactly what I thought right before you asked that, and there the answer go. to your question so- is yes. It was my favorite series.
0: There you go. So intruder adventures, you know, you're in a dungeon somewhere. It's okay. If you want to turn left, turn to page 24, if you want to turn right, turn to page 34, whatever. And you navigate a tree through the book. My plan is to do two things for a Sprite Kit book. Firstly, segment a, a project, a game project, into very small segments. So you get five-minute wins. Every five minutes, you get a result you can see as you're on the screen. Bang, 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 bang. So you can't get bored easily. That's a small idea. The second idea is every sort of second or third chapter break present three options do you want to do a do you want to do b or do you want to do c and the, what you choose affects the way you read the rest of the chapter so if you work your way through the first project in my current test there's 51 different routes you can take through the chapter to build different kinds of games depending on what you want to happen in the game Wow, so it becomes, that's ambitious! It's, it's kind of my idea as in like uh, you're building this kind of game ultimately But how you move the player, how you score points, what the player even is, is down to the choices you make. And it kind of works because it'll be EPUB. That's why I've said to you, I'm I'm currently rewriting my EPUB generator to handle this forking system that can accept multiple inputs and generate multiple outputs because there's no page, there's no PDF anymore. You can't jump through pages. It's one huge EPUB you navigate through with hyperlinks effectively. So that's the plan. And I've done the first project fully now, and it works brilliantly. It's so much fun. You say, oh, you know, I want to be a, a race car. I want to be a fish. I want to be a spaceship. I want to you know, tap the screen. I want to tilt the device to move, whatever. You make your choices, and the code it presents to you adjusts all the way through and you end up with a completely almost unique game, which is great fun. So that's the plan.
2: So what you're saying is you're creating a choose-your-own-tutorial book.
0: Yeah, pretty much. It becomes code-your-own-adventure. Um, that's not the title of the book, by the way. Before I get sued, <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah. So you 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 when you select, you know, do you want to move the play in the project one by sort of tapping on them and moving, or by tilting the device? You'll then get a different following chapter that affects how you control it. So one will teach core motion, one will teach you know touches began and similar in Sprite Kit. Um, so you're you're selecting your path through. And it, what the, the, my goal ultimately is to make a book that works brilliantly for beginners in Sprite Kid, particularly. Uh, kids in a sort of 16 to 21-year-old bracket who are at school, perhaps, you know, in an advanced uh, Swift class who want to do coding but don't want to sit through a, you know, hour and a half tutorial. They want multiple quick wins and they want to feel like they have some control over what they're getting. So if this project is reflective of what the rest of the thing is, there's going to be sort of, you know, four or 500 paths through the entire, entire book depending on what you want to do. So you have a lot of control, a lot of feeling of uh, empowerment, and uh, it, it feels great going through it so far.
2: So what do you think of Playgrounds?
0: The app or uh, the, the technology in Xcode?
2: Both, right? Because a lot of people are using Playgrounds for teaching. So I'm wondering if you're going to bring that element into this particular choose-your-own-tutorial or choose-your-own-code so or whatever. Swift
0: Swift Playgrounds. Yeah. Um, uh, Swift Playgrounds is, is interesting. Uh, you know, I've, I've tried it with my seven-year-old. Um, and she quite likes it, <laughs> but she's not like gagging for more. She's not particularly keen for more. Um, and uh, I think Apple could do significantly more with it. I'm kind of glad they haven't because it, it, in effect, they'd be showing me <laughs> if they did. Hmm. Um, but, uh, so far their efforts have been pretty small, uh, and I'm okay with that so far.
1: Yeah. I Tommy? I talked about Jesse Chartier on, um, that I saw at 360 iDev and she was saying that they educate in their, in their courses, they educate people in Xcode because they find that with, um, playgrounds are good for sort of sketchbooky kind of ideas, but, um, kids get more out of, you know, using Xcode and building apps. And, you know, even if it's a hello world app at the very beginning, you know? So like, I think like, you know, and we do the same thing at raywenderlich.com. We, you know, we, we, code for a bit and then we want to make sure that you're building and running at regular intervals you know so that you're not going to get uh, frustrated or lost or there isn't too much code and
0: yeah so yeah. I, one, i've got two projects sitting on my desk i'm i should publish and i haven't got around to doing two books that were ages ago uh and one of them i made with my daughter who's seven and it, I've bought the domain for it. I've, I've written the book up with her. Re, We've recorded videos together. It's pretty ready to go live, but I'm sitting here thinking and last minute edits and yada, yada, yada. I haven't pushed it live now for the last six months to sit on my desk. And it teaches Python using the BBC Microbit. I'm not sure if you have those over there. They're very, very small, extremely cheap devices that run mm-hmm. trivial software. It's MicroPython software, but it has 25 LEDs, has an A and B button, has a little accelerometer in there. So you can make very fun, touchy-feely apps on there. And, uh, you know, you can use a block-based editor. Where you can't kind of drag things around like scratch. Right, but yeah. I've had students from the schools say they want to teach, they want to learn coding with words. Right. And that's yep. their way of saying it. they don't want blocks, they want Python or real JavaScript or something else. Because for them, they're they, when they become aware of what it means to code, they start to realise that Scratch is limited. I have got a lot of respect for Scratch. I think Scratch is amazing things, but it is limited in what you can express. It's a bit like um, uh, 1984 English, you know, double plus good. <laughs> it's it's a simple form of programming; that you can't express very much. And they want to escape the box and have control. Uh, that's why with Sophie, my daughter, we did this Python thing, where you have got complete control. It is hard to do, but you do feel like you are literally talking to the computer. And I think that's the same gap between Playgrounds and Xcode, at least for the students I've seen. They're doing the sort of the bite adventures, walking through in Playgrounds, and they're drag and dropping little blocks of like move forward and collect gem and stuff. They don't necessarily feel they really have any actually control. It's sort of fake control, if you like to they have. They're in a Kobayashi Maru scenario where it's all sort of a put up around them rather than being a real environment. I, d- I just don't think many folks are using Playgrounds in schools. You know, the the, the schools I have seen use Chromebooks or they use Surfaces. Right, some, right. Some use iPads, and often they aren't very happy with their iPads. And if they are using iPads, they probably aren't using Playgrounds because they've got enough cash to buy Macs, so they have Xcode. <laughs> now, schools that have iPads are immediately a certain kind of school, let's face it. Right, yep. Yeah. So you can give me some advice. Uh, I've, I've told you my idea. Do you think it's a terrible idea or or it might work?
2: I think it's a great idea. I mean, you know, growing up in the 80s and, and the 90s, the choose your own adventures were fantastic. You know, if I could put them to a choose your own coding option or choose your own tutorial or whatever the case may be. I can see that as being like a really cool thing for some developers.
1: Great. Yeah, it's interesting, too, because, you know, I I think that sometimes I get frustrated with books that I'm trying to learn from as well, where they teach you something that I don't really care about. Right. Like, you know, uh, and, and you have to get through that section of the book to get to the good part that you want to get to, you know. Um, you know the, the scoring system or something like that. Whereas you know, if you do it this way, you can decide. Well, do I want to make it? I don't want to make a D-pad game. I don't ever want to make a D-pad game, right? Huh. Um, because I, I just did I did. I'm. I'm too old to have you know really sort of spent a lot of time with you know Playstations and Genesises and things like that. I mean, I did, I did use them, but I but I was an adult when they came out. Um, so. I much rather use, you know, uh, like like you said, tilting the tilting the screen when I'm driving, or um, you know, or, or moving my hand on the whole of the screen as opposed to just one part. So, if given that choice, my only concern about your book idea is I can't imagine the debugging that's going to have to go through, just in terms of the writing of the pieces connecting to each other. Like, you know, this this you know that that tree. What's that tree going to look like? And and are there going to be parts of the the, the story where you leave somebody abandoned on, a, on the end
0: of a branch, you know? <laughs> I, what, what it effectively does, is it transfers the difficulty to me rather than the student. And I'm kind of cool with that at this point. You know, I've, I've, I did a quick count earlier today how many pages I now have of books. And the answer is 4,750. And that's just in my Hacking with Swift series. Mm. doesn't include my previous books. And of those... Uh, I think four thousand two hundred were written in the last eighteen months. So I'm kind of okay with transferring the project load into my brain and hoping for the best. Um, but also, you know, I'll mail it out and let people try it out. I'll get beta testers effectively and say if you can find a, a, a hole, the book's yours for free, or you know, you can get the books for free and then get people helping me out. Hopefully, people will be intrigued by the idea and and uh, see where it takes them. Hmm.
2: Is hacking with Swift what you're doing full time now? Yeah. That was a really short answer. How can I eat my steak if <laughs> oh, you're sorry. just going to go oh, with, oh,
0: yeah? <laughs> uh, want more of an answer? Um, <laughs>
2: oh, this is a good steak. Uh, well, you I need know, to at least grab on, one bite, man.
0: No, no, it's, you're absolutely right. Uh, I, on reflection, I think uh, all things considered, looking around and, and really considering the history and where I plan to be in the future, and certainly what I'm doing right now, and also looking at my environment, people I know, the connections I have, what they're doing, or what other writers are doing, where they might be going in the future, the answer's still yes. Had enough steak? Almost, I'm still <laughs> chewing. Oh, I can't say much more than that. Answer, that was yes. a great answer. Yes, <laughs> oh, I yes, love that answer. Oh. <laughs> well, I'm trying to try my best. <clears throat> nice. Yes, yeah, so I, 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 I I love doing it. Uh, it's it's great fun. Uh, you know, um, I've, I've been on holiday now for uh, five, six weeks. Um, and it's nice having some time off, relaxing a bit, thinking about plans, doing some research, next ideas and stuff. You know, I start, and I'm obviously away on holiday again um, as of tomorrow. Um, but when I get back, sort of September the 3rd or 4th, like I'm, I'm doing a few conferences, doing the Welsh one and the Cologne one, but mm-hmm. after that, then I'm back in full work mode, and uh, you know the Spracket book will hopefully enter production immediately um, because the research will have proven positive for being well.
2: And three days and, later, uh, we'll have a new book.
0: <laughs> yeah, honestly, it takes <laughs> me a remarkable little time to get a book out. You know, I, I've written, I said ten in the last um, fourteen months or so, um, mm. and that's with some pretty sizable breaks between them um, because I, te- I do tend to work on two or three at a time. I've got a long list. You want to see my Evernote list. I've got a long list of books I want to write. I've got so many ideas. And, of course, imminently, you know, September, October, uh, Xcode 9 GM comes out. It'll become uh, Swift 4's final. I have to update all my current books and release them because I do the free update policy. So everyone get updates my books for Swift 4 and High Sierra and WatchOS 4 and TVOS 11, iOS 11. Blah, blah, blah. So there's mm-hmm. stacks of work coming my way. So if a zombie apocalypse happens, ideally before the work would be better than after the work. <laughs> right. Speaking
2: of zombies, do they float or do they swim? This is an important question. I, I why, know you why, may...
0: Where does swimming come from? I don't get that.
2: Well, because I don't know.
0: I, I, you know, <laughs> If I were to consider the people from Game of Thrones as being zombies, uh, oh, yeah. then... Uh, in today's episode, this, this happened, you know, the one where um, Daenerys dies at the end. I'm just kidding.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, they appear to sink. They don't appear to float yeah. at all. They appear to sink, is <laughs> the answer. They don't, they don't float or spin, they sink. Uh, and they don't drown. They sit at the bottom looking very annoyed, I expect.
1: And <laughs> yeah, we have a TV show, American one, called... Uh, you, have you you're familiar with The Walking Dead at all? Did you get that over there? I am there it. And the, uh, the follow-up one is, uh, what, The Fear of the, wa- fear of the Walking Dead? Um, in that one, in season two, they they end up in a boat, and because everybody's always saying, you know, oh, we'll, we'll just get on a boat and sail around, and, and not worry about the zombies, which are on land. And turns out that the zombies have fallen into the water, and they're floating around, just ready to start gnawing on you if you fall in the water. So,
0: right, so it's a bit like the old, it's a bit like the old, let's escape the Daleks by going up some stairs.
2: Oh wait, are you a Doctor <laughs> Who fan?
0: Of course, I'm a Who fan. Uh, who isn't? What kind of loser a eh? doesn't like Doctor Who a eh?
2: Exactly. Eh?
0: <laughs> now you guys just you're mocking the
1: Canadians. You know I'm otherwise born in England. Just FYI, but I have so, only been to,
0: I've only been to your great country once, and it was a lovely experience. I Canada? really. Hmm. I went to Toronto a couple of years ago, and it's an amazing place. No, it's Toronto. <laughs> it's Toronto, <laughs> not Toronto. It's Toronto. Yeah, you're quite wrong, but anyway, <laughs> I, I like the place very much. People are lovely. And your money is amazing. Your money is the best mm. money that I've ever seen. It's great.
1: Did you know that our, our
0: $100 bill smells of maple syrup? Did you know that? I don't normally sniff banknotes, to be honest with you, but next time, if I'm ever lucky enough to go back to, to, to Canada for a conference, perhaps, I will sniff it on your behalf and let you know. All right. Thank you.
2: I think Tim's lying. He just wants you to look funny in front of all the other tourists.
0: He just wants to avoid talk of Doctor Who. He's desperate
1: now. No, no. Actually, I want to know what you like. i have of course, I've seen Broadchurch and I've seen Formula Fifty One, so I'm a big fan of the new Doctor.
0: Do you have a favorite Doctor, Tim?
1: Um, well, I'm Tom Baker. Doctor uh, was my first Doctor, right? And well, wow,
0: okay, now
1: we're talking. Yeah. See, and and the one before him, which I always forget his name, uh, oh, with Hercule. the Star we Yeah, um, yeah. Those two, and then of course the guy who was who came over from All Creatures Great and Small and and uh, played the Doctor for a bit. I've um, forgotten his name, but he's actually David Tennant's father-in-law, which you probably yes. also know, he's right? Peter Davison. He was at the cricket costume. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Exactly.
0: Yeah. Well, that's old school Doctor Who. I've got uh, props. Well done. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, Paul, See? who's Henry? your
2: favorite Doctor?
0: Well, my childhood Doctor is Sylvester McCoy. I was oh, really? A doctor, mm-hmm. even though he had some pretty weak scripts and his companion Ace wasn't that likable at times, um, and he had a terrible costume, an awful sort of sweater and bowler hat thing going on. Uh, anyway, soft up him, but in terms of acting and ability and script combined, I think it's hard to argue with the 10th Doctor.
1: Mm. It's funny, you know, we, we, I don't think we had that because we used to get it on PBS, which is an American station over here. And we used to get them six months after you had seen them in, in the UK. And I don't remember maybe, I think maybe I, that might've been the dark, the dark area where I was in my first marriage, where I didn't get to watch things like that. But, um, I don't remember seeing that. Maybe I was in university
0: at the time or something.
1: Was that in the early '80s? David Tennant? No, not David Tennant. Uh, Sylvester McCoy.
0: Yeah, yeah. So it was, uh, yeah. So it was the '80s and '90s period. But just before it was canned, it was late '80s. I think like two or three years, uh, and it came back. I think just briefly, maybe the, the, the began attempt they had, the Eighth Doctor. Um, but yeah, it was that was a, the real end of Doctor Who was Sylvester McCoy.
2: All right, I think since my steak is done. I should probably... <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm sure Paul, you have things to do. I know that Tim's got another podcast in a half hour, but I think this has been a fantastic show. I'm so glad that you were able to join us tonight. Thank you so much.
0: It's been great. I've been glad to be here. Thank you.